0: What do you do when you find yourself in a place where your soul refuses to be comforted? It's what the verse tells us here in Psalm 77. It's on the screen for you. When you find yourself in a place where your soul refuses to be comforted. You may think, well... It's kind of an odd thing. Maybe you're thinking in your mind through your life. Younger folks here today probably have never experienced that. Maybe you have had a traumatic experience. You've lost a loved one or you've experienced some sort of a hardship in your family. Brokenness of this world have affected you in some way. But I would, I would think those who have traveled a few miles in life who have experienced pain on some level. And the older you get, the more pain you experience. There may have been those times, or maybe you're currently in one of those moments, where sometimes you just feel like your soul does not want to be comforted. And you can't really understand it. You can't necessarily describe it. But, but there is... Something blocking your perspective and how you view the world and even how you, feel, uh, you view God. Your feelings of discouragement, maybe even bitterness over the trauma and hardship of life has such an effect on you that you really don't understand what is happening around you. I want to make a clarification as we begin this series. The goal of this series is to equip believers when they find themselves severely discouraged or even in a spiritual depression. Now, I've taught on depression before in other passages of Scripture, and I believe there are different types. Sometimes there are uh, issues with a chemical imbalance in our bodies, and those have an effect on on how we view life. Maybe it's a side effect from a medicine that you've been prescribed. Maybe it's a hormonal imbalance as you go through different seasons of life or even uh, moments like postpartum after bearing a child. Those kinds of things. I understand that there are different types of depression. and, And those actually... Can then you can be tempted to go into a spiritual depression during some of those moments. So I've taught uh, some of that. I'm speaking specifically about those uh, who are struggling in their walk with God. They're discouraged and have even maybe found themselves in some sort of a depression from a spiritual perspective. When we experience pain and suffering... Whether it's because of our own sin, and that many times is the case, or the sin of those around us, or perhaps it's just the sovereign plan of God that he allows us to go through the darkest of valleys, it can have a significant effect on our lives. Now, as humans, we react different ways. Here's some reactions. Talking just strictly from a human perspective. Well, we, we already read in, in Psalm 77 verse 1, I cried aloud. So that's a typical human response. Sometimes it's just that feeling of crying or, as I have put it here, we just hang out in our sorrow. So maybe, you know, it, it's not necessarily the physical act of crying for you. In the book that I recommended to you our author Mark he says every human has the same opening story. It's the first thing that we did when we came out of our mother's womb we cried. We're all the same that way. We came into the world crying and sometimes it's actually one of the last things we do as we leave this earth. To cry is human. Now, I realize some of us in the audience today were brought up in a generation where you were told not to cry. You you were told to maybe suck it up and you didn't need to do that kind of thing. And, And so maybe your crying is more from the inside. But what happens when you find yourself in a place, whether you want to be there or not, most of the time not, that the sorrow of it is just really, really overwhelming? Sometimes we go through these journeys and these valleys and we end up just denying that they're actually happening around us. And we'll, we'll really try to avoid them. We'll, we'll try to fill up our lives and, and distract ourselves so that we don't necessarily think about maybe the traumatic experience that we have been through or the suffering and pain that we are feeling that's a human response. We try to pretend that it's not happening. Another one is that we get angry. And, and, and then, you know, bitterness forms in the heart. And so you have this, this experience that is happening in your life, maybe in your family, in a work scenario, and, and sometimes it's traumatic. And, and so there's bitterness and anger developing. But then what, what happens is you see it surface in a complete unrelated situation and so you end up reacting in anger and bitterness in things that you you look you're like I would have never responded that way before but that bitterness has an effect on our heart and that anger sometimes we run to our go-to unhealthy coping coping mechanisms and And there's a variety of those, even if we were to take a survey of this audience this morning, if we were to ask you, what's your go-to, unhealthy coping mechanism when life gets hard, stressful? Sometimes it's food. For a lot of people, it's food. Have you ever wondered why people call it comfort food? We tend to run to something to make us feel better, About what is happening around us. For some, it it ends up being sleep. Others, it could be distractions like shopping and spending. For many people, it becomes some sort of substance like alcohol or, or another type of substance. For others, it can be some sort of sexual pleasure, meaningless sex, or some sort of viewing activity. But we have these go-to, unhealthy coping mechanisms to be able to to really help us, quote-unquote, handle what is happening in our lives. So that's typical human behavior. And while in the moment, one of these things, or maybe even more than one of these things, seem like good options... I want to suggest to you this morning that believers have a better option. We don't have to turn to an unhealthy coping mechanism. We don't have to turn to anger and bitterness. We can actually understand that it's there, instead of avoiding it, denying it, accept it, Believe that God has a purpose in it. And sometimes that's one of the biggest hurdles. Bending our will to believe that good can actually come out of it. There is a better option. That's what the Bible says. You know, the Bible does not dismiss pain. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that the Bible deals directly with every part of our lives. Not just the good parts, the Bible actually addresses our human behavior, our human feeling. So when we do experience the brokenness of this world, and it's all around us, when we experience the pain and suffering, there's a place to go to to be able to understand God's purpose and and, and his, his plan in it. Many of those who have gone before us, we sing that one song about uh, the faith of our heroes of, of the that are described, many of them in Hebrews chapter 11. Those who, who we read in the scriptures, and I don't like to assume, assume anyone in our audience has just all this Bible knowledge, right? We have a very broad perspective of people. So I'm not going to make any assumptions that you know all these stories, but I'm going to name some, some folks in the Scripture. I don't have time to tell you their stories, but they experienced great hardship in life, and they experienced pain, and it took them to places that, that were very, very difficult for them. There's a man named Abraham who experienced a lot of pain and suffering, some by his own choices, but he is described as the father of us all. A man named Job who lost everything from a human perspective. A man named Jonah. A man named Elijah. A man named Jeremiah. Many, many examples and scriptures that I could give you to explain what you are going through in this moment is not new to you. (laughs) In fact, here's some of the words. Here's Job's words. So that my soul would choose suffocation, death rather than my pains. Maybe you have never been, I'm gonna talk about like a scale, like let's, let's say a one to 10 scale of pain and suffering, discouragement, depression. And you may say, you know what, in my life, I'm probably at a two to three. But I know there are some here who would be a 10. And I'm personally probably at a seven or eight right now. Can you imagine being at a place where you would say, my soul would rather choose suffocation than experience the pain? Here's another man, David. I am bent over. I'm greatly bowed down or prostrated. I go mourning all day long. For my loins are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. These are real people who lived in a real time period, who experienced the real pain of living in a broken world from their own heart's choices or the sovereign plan of God around them. And they found themselves depressed, discouraged, almost to the point of death. Here's Paul's words, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So I'm giving you examples of people who would probably be on that like 8 to 10 scale. (laughs) But I think at some point you can relate to the pain and suffering in this world and how it has an effect on our lives as we go about the journey that God has set us upon. There's a pastor named Charles Spurgeon... He was referred to as the Prince of Preachers, and he, expressed, uh, he experienced depression for really, it was almost a lifelong battle for him. He had a very traumatic accident that, uh, as he was preaching in his 20s, that really he never could get older over, and then in his 30s, a lot of physical pain came to his life, and there's been a lot written about him and his life and, and the impact that he had. But it is said that the pain was such that it it soon kept him from preaching one-third of the time. Added to that, overwork, stress, and guilt about the stress began to take their toll. There were some days where it is said that his wife had to drag him out of bed. And this is from one of his sermons. Our Heavenly Father ordains suffering for believers. Though our trials may come from the world, the flesh and the devil... They are overruled and ordained by God who treats them as an important part of our new life in Christ. A personal testimony from a man that God greatly used a couple hundred years ago and is still using even today because of the hardship that he experienced in his life. Psalm 77, the writer here, Asaph. It may be surprising to you, if you do understand the Psalms, and have spent some time there, you'll understand that, that many are attributed to him. He was the director of praise and worship. So the one, one of three actually, in the Old Testament, who was responsible to lead an entire nation to praise and worship God, found himself writing these words where he would say, my soul refused to be comforted. How does that happen? Well, what we don't find in the scripture is a bunch of judgment about him. (laughs) Because that's what we sometimes do with people. And, and even I probably have been guilty of it myself, when people go through such hard times that we maybe haven't gone through ourselves, maybe we haven't experienced, and yet we're seeing it in others, we can sometimes allow our flesh to be a little critical, like, would you just get over it? Come on, life isn't that bad. Really, I've known people who have gone through a lot worse. We can get kind of judgmental about people. And yet what we don't find in the scripture is Judgment. From peop- about people who experience really, really dark moments. It's raw, it's real, and it's actually helpful. So here's the, one of the directors of praise and worship for an entire nation, doubting and questioning God. And we see here, that there is a progression. And he, he does work us through the progression of his thoughts. And I believe there should be a progression. As we look at some of the lament psalms in the next few weeks. I want us to get that progression. Because God does not want us to stay hanging out in our sorrow. That is not what he intends for the pain to do. That's what we want to do. It's easier to hang out in the sorrow. But God wants to progress us through that and help us get to a place where we can really believe the truth that he has communicated about himself, who he is, and what he desires. But it's that progression that sometimes is very, very difficult. We find our writer, what I would describe, in a deep spiritual depression. We see that there is an admission of doubt. God, what are you doing? And a lot of times, that's the first step. We we have to admit that, yeah, we're frail enough to doubt God. Like, we're really not all that great apart from Jesus. (laughs) Take away Jesus from our life, and we're actually a broken mess. So this admission of doubt is like, you know what? This is where I am. And he says here, Basically, I'm just I just kind of for the notes this morning, I just kind of did a description of what he's going through. Verse 1 and 2 Tells us really there's no peace in his life. He says, My voice rises to God, and I cry, I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. So there's even a posture towards God where, like, it seems like he's begging God. He is seeking God. He's crying out to God. There is a posture of God, Where are you? But what's happening there, there is no peace. He says, my soul refused to be comforted. In all of this prayer, in all of this crying to God, there is no relief from the pain. It's not there. Maybe it's his selfish perspective as he's viewing the world from a very self-centered, a me-centered approach and just it's all about me and everything that I've experienced and all the hardship instead of seeing what God wants us to see. You know what? God has a bigger plan. His thoughts are not my thoughts. I don't have the whole picture in mind. But our psalmist is at a place where there is no peace in his heart. His soul cannot be comforted. He cannot get it off its mind. He cannot shake it. And we don't know how long. So we, we get Psalm 77 we read it in like three minutes. I'm pretty sure that's probably not the prog- how long the progression took in his life or anyone who's experienced spiritual depression. So we don't know from verse 1 to verse 11 how long it took to get there. Now he got there, but there was a season of time and maybe you find yourself in a season of time where your soul refuses to be comforted. It just is not helping. And maybe even that's causing fear of like, am I a child of God? Is this real? why, Why would I feel this way? There is no peace. Sometimes if you know someone who's going through, a, through something like this, the best thing to do is just to be present. We like to fix people. We like to give them a little, you know, a quick little thought. Or, and, and, and we have good intentions. I, I understand that. And, but sometimes the best thing For someone who is in a place like this is just to be there. We'll talk about that, hopefully, in the weeks to come. You think of Job's friends. You know, they were right on track the first 10 days when they didn't say anything. They were, like, they were just present. 10 days, could not speak, the utter despair that they found Job in. Wrap your mind around that. Some of us can't stop 10 minutes without speaking. When they started speaking, they got themselves into trouble. Now, I realize there's a lot of scripture that tells us to encourage those and and help the faint-hearted. I get all of that. But there are times when your friends or those loved ones who are going through a hard time, they just need you to be there. The emotions of the situation that we find here described. Verse three, when I remember God, listen to this, then I am disturbed. Like seeking God and thinking about Him is not bringing relief. You say, is that in the Bible? Um, It is right here. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Sila, Take a moment and let that settle in. The emotions of this situation are so overwhelming. We will run to the Father. That's where we have to go. Over again, again, and again. That's why I love that song because it's a simple truth. Keep running to the Father. Again, again, and again. We can't stop running. When we go silent before God, we get ourselves into trouble. We don't give God the silent treatment. But in that seeking of God, sometimes there is still not the hope and help that we find. It's there, but we have not been able to wrap our minds and our hearts and submit it to the truth yet. The emotions of the situation are almost overwhelming you get to a place sometimes where you're like, if one more thing happens, I think I'm going to implode. I, I, I literally think it's over. Verse 4 talks about difficulty in sleeping. You have held my eyelids open. You toss and you turn. Sometimes this is Even some of you have experienced it with medicine that that keeps you up at night. But there, sometimes after having a child, you know, when when new moms are experiencing, uh, and and dads that are helpful, I wasn't one of those dads, but um, the the new moms that experience those nighttime feedings, and and it's like you, you dread the thought of going to bed because you know what it's going to be like. There's no rest toss and you turn. In his progression and what this man experienced, there were times when he could not even talk rationally. I am so troubled I cannot speak. If I speak it's not going to be good. Verses 5 and 6 talk about memories. I have considered the days of old and the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. He, he, he goes down the road of, of trying, to, where are the memories? It only brought more confusion. You know, we have expectations about life. Where, you know, we have this kind of picture-perfect narrative in, in our mind of, okay, it's going to be like this, and then we're going to have this relationship, and that's going to end up putting us in this kind of a situation, and then when, once we're in this kind of situation, it's going to move to here. And, and, and so I, in times past, I've sat down with couples who are in premarital counseling, and, and I'll try to say to them, you have no idea what you're going to experience in life. In this moment, you have this thought that it's going to be okay, and ultimately it is. But there are many, many people here who could stand up and give you a testimony who could say, on my wedding day, I never thought it would be like this. I would never have, if you would have told me my life story and what I would experience and the pain the hardship, I would have never believed you. But that's, that's the reality of living in a broken world. And so the memories sometimes are not always picture perfect. Sometimes the memories don't fit the narrative that we believed that it was going to be great. There are times when the memories only bring confusion. And then the questions come, verses 7 through 9. There are six rhetorical questions. Obviously, the answer is no to all of these. But he's still asking them, and we ask him from time to time. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Sometimes we think that God's blessing only comes in picture-perfect packages. And we believe that when, when it's nice and pretty with red paper and a big bow, that that's, that's God's blessing. But when the cardboard box comes and inside is not that treasured gift from Christmas morning, we, we tend to think God doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't bless anymore. He's rejected. Has God forgotten? He talks about his promises, his loving kindness in verse 8. Has it ceased? His promises, have they come to an end? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Think about these questions. Think about the questions of your own heart that we sometimes ask. I, we know that the answer is absolutely not, but we still ask the question and we feel the questions. How could a gracious God, that's who he is, every part of him, he can't be anything different. How could we get to a place where we would say, God, have you forgotten to be gracious? And yet we do get there and the questions come. Or has his anger withdrawn his compassion? Selah, take a moment and let that settle in. This was the progression And like I said, I don't know how long. And there's a conclusion here in verse 10. And there is some translation differences. So uh, according to verse 10 in the NASB, it says, Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High God has changed. Okay, So, So that's from the version that I'm reading. The ESV says, I will appear to this to the years of the right hand of the mighty God. The New King James says, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most. High God. So there is this translation difference. Verse 10, according to Nazmi, I think is a little more literal. I think it, it would refer to the fact that there's confusion in all of the questions, in all of the feelings, and all of the pain and all the hardship. He gets to verse 10, and, and he has this. It's like God's changed. That, that, the, the wrong conclusion came to his mind. Something has changed. Whether we take the King James and, and, and the other, and it's, it, the transition actually happens in verse 10 or verse 11. It's the same meaning of the text. At some point, and like I said, we don't know how long, but somewhere between verse 1 and what we have found up until this point and verse potentially verse 10, I would say maybe even verse 11, there is a progression that has taken place in the thinking and the process that is important and it's something we must work towards no matter what we feel. But the conclusion in his mind at some point is, you know what? My deal with God, something's different. And we can get very self-centered in our thinking many times. Saying, God, I have done this for you. We can get real sacrificial. We can remind God of all of our sacrifices. In my lifetime as a believer, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. and, And now look, look what you've done for me. And we can get real transaction oriented. How did, I get, how did I get the bum deal? Many times we come to really bad conclusions. Conclusions that don't match truth. Thankfully, the writer does not leave us here. <laughs> because we would walk out here very discouraged today. And, and, and like, whoa, that was an, a train wreck. but look at verse 11 because there's a personal choice from Asaph he says I shall remember the deeds of the Lord I will remember your wonders of old I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples, and you have, by your power, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. So the truths that he now is going to choose to cling to. And that's my encouragement to my own heart today and to everyone who finds themselves on the scale of 1 to 10. Maybe you're at a 1, and you need just simple reminders. Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. But run to the Father. Or maybe you're a 10 today, and you just need someone to say, it's okay, there's no judgment here. But run to the Father. And there's probably a variety of those, of all of us here, we're somewhere in between there. I found myself in Mexico, I think it was June, I don't even remember the date, Uh, my buddy from college who is kind of a, one of the main leaders in a mission organization that helps orphans in Mexico and other countries. He actually invited me and, and took care of my trip and, and allowed me to bring one of my daughters to, to come view the ministry and be a part. And I found myself in the middle of Mexico, a couple of weeks into the sabbatical, and, and my buddy, we have this debriefing at night. He's the only other person I know besides my daughter. We have this debriefing at night where we're circled around and we're just talking about what God's done during the day. And, and, and he opens up and, and he reads Psalm 77. And up until that point, it was like I, I was experiencing something I've never experienced before, ever. Ever. Feelings of doubt and discouragement. It was the craziest thing. And I couldn't flip the switch to make it turn off. It wouldn't happen. And he read Psalm 77, and I'm like, that's my life. My soul is refusing to be comforted. That's what's happening. And all these things that that this man experienced here in Psalm 77, like, I'm right in the middle of this. And I did not ask for it. But God in his providence, our family has experienced about eight years of pain and hardship. Very personal things that we've, most of them we've never spoken about. But the effect of that. And I was trying to handle it well throughout those eight years. Pretty traumatic experiences, some of them. And, and yet I found myself as like, whoa. When I didn't have to just get up the next morning and just do what you're supposed to do, do what you're supposed to do, do what you're supposed to do. Like a flood came in so in God's providence, he allowed me to have that sabbatical. I had no idea this, I would experience this on my sabbatical. When we planned it, this was not in the plan. Is it ever? But I'm in the middle of Mexico. I have no feeling. I'm pretty much numb. And Psalm 77 is read. And it's like, that's my heart. there is always hope in the darkest of places. Because I was with a group of people who loved Jesus and they were just there. <laughs> they were just there, living life on mission in Mexico with these orphans. And it was like balm to my soul. I didn't know them. They had no idea the effect they were having on my life. But just, just being there and watching god work and i started to rehearse you know what god has done and is doing amazing things around the world he has not stopped working this world is broken and it's fallen apart as i am but god is still there working Again, a couple of unplanned things that we had the opportunity. We had the opportunity to go to former ministries this summer and, and see people who, who God has used us to live life with at different seasons of our life. And what God did in those moments was remind me of his works. One up in Detroit where it's like we're talking generations of kids we had in our youth group and they've grown up and they still are following Jesus and now they have kids. And, and, and it's like when you meditate on the works of God... It brings healing to the soul. We have history with God. Really good history. So the psalmist remembers the mighty. He said, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. And I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on your work and I will muse on your deeds. And then he starts to describe And ascribe to God who he is. Your way, O God, is holy. He is holy. What does that mean? Well, a couple aspects of his holiness that we can focus in on. One is that he is perfect. He's not making mistakes in your life. Our flesh wants us to believe, God, you have missed it here. This This was not what was supposed to happen. But if he is holy, and he is... Our God cannot lie. That means he is perfect in every, every movement. Even if it includes pain. And he's also transcendent. The second aspect of his holiness is like he is above us. He is other. We cannot comprehend his mind. It's, we can try to figure it out. We can try to, to meditate on and. and, and it'll just bring more confusion and more hardship, but there has to come to a point where it's like, God, I'm not fully going to understand this. You may reveal some aspects in my lifetime where where it makes sense and there's beauty that comes from the ashes. You may bring some of that along, but I'm not ultimately going to get this because you are holy. You are transcendent. You are other. It's where we have to bend our will. His greatness is incomparable. He says, What God is like is great, like our God. There is not one. At the end of this Psalm, we didn't read it, but he talks about the greatest one of the greatest miracles that that we have recorded for us in the scripture, where God took a mighty body of water and caused it to stand up so that his people could cross on dry land. His greatness is incomparable. There is no, nothing too difficult for him. And lastly, which is hopefully the balm to our soul as we conclude this morning, he is the great redeemer. The psalmist says, you have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Now, the psalmist goes on to describe this moment that I just mentioned where the sea and, and God delivered and he redeemed his people from Egypt. And so, the psalmist, from his perspective, is remembering that amazing redemption of the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt and being freed. But for us as believers living in this day and time on this side of the cross, we know there was a greater event. All of that redemption was leading to the one redeeming moment when our Savior, our Jesus, our Messiah, he redeemed his people on the cross when he took upon himself our sin. He bore our sin on the cross and he accomplished in that one work something we could never do on our own. Our God is the great Redeemer, and if you are his child, you know even though you're in the darkest place, you know he has redeemed your life. And so we go back to truth, and we do what the psalmist did. I will cling to truth. And that doesn't mean like, oh, everything's great. Yay! Because for me right now, I get up and I'm good for like the first three hours and then I like plummet. And I'm just being very frank with you. Like I can meditate on the scripture and I can be, things can be hum along, great, and then I just tank. And I've never experienced anything like it in my life. But I will never judge a person for it again. And we all go, we experience pain differently. It's not all cookie cutter. But we experience pain. That we do. That's common to man. As was for our Savior. And so we have hope in the song of the night. And I don't know where on, the, where on the scale you are. Maybe you're saying, my soul is refusing to be comforted. I just want you to know that we are here. That's it. We're here. And we're going to tell you to run to the Father. Because that's all we got. But maybe you're in a season and everything is just skipping along and, and you are doing great, please know that you don't plan for these things. <laughs> so we're trying trying to equip you now so that if it were to happen, you're ready. Because a lot of believers, it, it, it just destroys them. And so... Our prayer is in this series, and we're going to look at some of the Psalms of Lament, is to equip believers to know how to handle pain. And there is a way to handle it from a biblical perspective. Not those other human reactions that are so easily at our fingertips. But a way to handle hardship, discouragement, And even depression. Would you join me as we conclude in prayer? Father, we're just asking you to accomplish your purposes through this series. Thank you that you did not gloss over the messy parts of life. Thank you that you went right for the heart, for our hearts, by exposing us to people and their thoughts and their emotions and the way that they processed the same things that we do, just the brokenness of this world. And God, I pray that you will just, by your grace, imprison us with hope over the next few weeks. Jesus, thank you that you are the wonderful redeemer. That we ultimately will sit before your throne With all the tears gone, and with hearts of pure joy, singing holy, holy, holy someday. God, we look forward to that. And as we journey until that moment, please sustain us by your grace. We're thankful that you promise you will. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.